Jersey. I'm Sarah Wildman, and this is the ER. Nice to see you. Do you know Sarah? Good. Hi, it's Sarah Wildman. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. It's been a long time. It's been a while. Yeah. So, um, yes. Maybe we'll let them go up and then get the elevator. That was Ambassador Martin Indyk in the elevator with producer Dan Efron and me. He dropped by foreign policy to talk about Donald Trump's decision to move the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which will happen on May 14th. There's actually a long backstory to Trump's decision. Congress passed the Jerusalem Embassy Act in the fall of 1995. That's almost 23 years ago. But it wasn't really something that then-President Bill Clinton wanted at the time. It wasn't even something Israel wanted at the time, or at least not the ruling party. Then-Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, who was prime minister in 1995, felt a little cornered by the initiative. In essence, the core components of the bill came from two places. Opponents of the peace process, the Oslo Accords, in Israel, the Likud party, the then in opposition, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, now prime minister. In the U.S., it was domestic politics, a bid for Jewish votes for the then presidential candidate, Bob Dole, the Republican senator, who chose to launch the bill at the pro-Israel lobby APEC's annual conference. Support for this bill was overwhelming. The White House knew it was coming. And so they inserted a waiver, a clause, which allowed the president to suspend the move of the embassy every six months. And and that waiver has been triggered by every president since every six months until now. Martin Indyk, who actually worked for APAC in the 80s, was a Clinton administration insider. He worked for the White House and was twice U.S. ambassador to Israel. First of all, welcome, Ambassador Indyk. It's an honor to meet you. Uh, Thanks for being here. Uh, And of course, we're here today because on May 14th, Trump has promised and will move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv under the auspices of the Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995. And I want to know how we got to that point to begin with. Uh, Moving the embassy to Jerusalem has always, and I would say only, been a domestic political issue in the United States. While Israelis across the political spectrum welcome it, um, it's never been a real priority for them. Jerusalem is their capital. Uh, that's the reality. And uh, having the United States or anybody else recognize it is kind of icing on the cake, but it's really not that important, especially if it's going to come at some price, either in terms of violence or in terms of disrupting the effort to make peace. So in the that context, every presidential candidate, in order to try to woo the Jewish vote, promises to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And, and so in that, that's the context in which um, the, the uh, Jerusalem Embassy Act was passed. Uh, I think it was in October, November of 1995. But let's go to spring, right? And you just mentioned that this was a domestic American political move. And my understanding is that Bob Dole wanted to woo the Jewish vote coming into the presidential election campaign season for 1996. Tell us when you knew that that was going to be on the table. Um, I, I, you know, my memory is not that good to tell you exactly when I, I knew it, but I, I do recall that Bob Dole had a problem mm-hmm. with the uh, pro-Israel community. Uh, in uh, that 
year of that that uh, he was uh, trying to get the the nomination and then run against President Clinton, and he. Uh, had a problem because he'd taken positions, including on Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which uh, was seen as as negative towards Israel. So he seized on this issue uh, and and pushed it at a time when uh, certainly Yitzhak Rabin was not urging it, uh, but he pushed it as a way of vetting his pro-Israel credentials uh, with the American Jewish community. So from my understanding is that APAC, where you had actually previously served, was itself interested in perhaps a letter, some sort of statement of support for the idea, but no legislation. And then, in fact, this actually preempts almost everyone when he introduces this. And my understanding is that he introduces it at the APAC conference, which is an enormous event. Yes, it's it's what you call a red meat eating crowd. And the one thing that will always bring them to their feet is, of course, Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is so religiously uh, as well as politically important um, to Jews everywhere. So, uh, uh, yes, he played on that. I, I was—I remember I was there. I, I was already uh, ambassador at that point and come back with Yitzhak Rabin, um, who spoke at the conference. And uh, this was not the policy of uh, the Clinton administration. I was there as the representative of the Clinton administration. Everybody jumped to their feet, and I was up on the podium, and uh, so I had no choice but to jump to my feet. (laughs) (laughs) But it was an awkward uh, awkward moment. But certainly Bob Dole hijacked the issue and, and did so very effectively, and then nobody could or would speak out against it. So at that point, Effectively, he puts the Clinton administration and even Yitzhak Rabin into a corner. Yeah, exactly. And and um, I think that, look, Rabin was skeptical of APEC anyway. He preferred just to deal with the administration, didn't like the fact that APEC was, was working with Congress. APEC was at that point ambivalent uh, about the whole Oslo Accords because it involved shaking hands with Yasser Arafat who had been the bete noire of the, of the pro-Israel lobby uh, for the previous, I don't know, since the 1960s. Um, so, it, it, you know, it was really putting the cat amongst the pigeons at that particular moment, but um, there, there was no way that it could be stopped. The only way that Clinton uh, could deal with it uh, was to send his, his staff to the Hill and to negotiate uh, waiver language, uh, which would enable the president to waive the legislation that required moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem uh, in the event of national security interests. And uh, that was something that would have to be waived every six months, but it was put into the legislation and and gave both Clinton and every president uh, subsequent to him except for Donald Trump most recently, uh, the ability to, in fact, uh, waive the requirement that the embassy should be moved. Let's go back a moment. Uh, So you're on stage. Everyone jumps to their feet. Um, It's a moment that brings the house down. And... What are you thinking? Are you are you rewriting your speech? Are you uh, are you thinking Clinton has to rewrite his speech? Is Rabin rewriting his speech? What, what's what's happening in those next minutes? I'm thinking um, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, 
Well, it sounds like this has been again and again the case, right? There's apparently an anecdote about President Gerald Ford as well, that when when he was in the House, he was very stridently pro-moving the embassy. And this is back in the 70s. And then he gets into the White House and says the view from the White House is different. I'm paraphrasing. Right, exactly. And it was the same with every every president. George W. Bush had made a big commitment that he was going to move the embassy. And I, I was still ambassador in Israel when he, when he took over. And I remember getting an account. I wasn't in the meeting. But one of the first things he did was to consider what to do about this. And his first response to the people was, well, we're not going to do that. Um, and... They then developed this this uh, talking point for the, for the Bush administration, which was, we're going to begin the process of moving the embassy to Jerusalem. And of course, they never did. We've talked a lot about domestic politics in the U.S. playing a role. And of course, it comes up again and again in each presidential cycle. But in the moment, that spring, right before the APEC conference, right before Dole makes his explosive announcement... Netanyahu and the Likud, who were then in the opposition, were also lobbying Congress. How, much, how aware were you of that? Oh, very much aware. Um, it, was, it was about Jerusalem. They were, trying, they were certainly uh, pushing this idea. Uh, of, uh, they were right behind Dole in terms of, uh, of pushing it because it, it was seen by them as, as uh, a way to undermine what uh, Rabin uh, was trying to achieve. Meaning they uh, wanted to unravel Oslo? Yes, or- Yes, absolutely. Oslo, uh, to them, was seen as as a disaster. Uh, For Netanyahu, as disastrous as the uh, Iran nuclear deal, in a way. Uh, So, yeah, we were very, very much aware that that they were messing uh, with the peace process. But, you know, look... That's par for the course. What, what uh, Bibi Netanyahu did when he came to address the Congress and attack President Obama's uh, nuclear deal with Iran was, was not new. And um, the Israelis, I think it's, it's more true of the right than the left. Israelis have, have seen um, Congress as, as a, a playing field that, that they can, can uh, influence in their direction. Why do you think it was such a, I mean, I think 93 senators voted for the Jerusalem Embassy Act once the waiver was inserted and, and kind of got a few of stragglers over the hump of, of caring for it. Why was it such a domestic political win? And why is it this thing that has become a stump speech, you know, standard? Yeah. Um, I think it's because Jerusalem is such an emotional issue for the for for Jews and for American Jews and and therefore for the pro-Israel community, um, and it's an easy one for politicians um, to say, you know, I support moving the embassy to Jerusalem. It's uh, you know, there's no responsibility involved in that on their part, unless they're the president, and then they they have to act differently. Uh, in most cases. But uh, I think it it just became the easiest way for politicians to appeal to the Jewish vote. And I always thought uh, we in the Jewish community were were selling ourselves short by accepting that as some kind of litmus test because it was so kind of obvious, (laughs) pandering that had no consequence. Um, This was the easy way out. Uh, for the politicians, but it became because of the emotional content. It became, and it's t- true to this day. Sheldon Adelson made it the condition for his support for Trump 
that he had to move the embassy to Jerusalem. But this has always been symbolic. And on May 14th, it becomes real. Yeah. And then what? Well, um, life will go on. Um, and and uh, the question really is what, what impact will, will it uh, actually have? I think that the impact of the decision to move the embassy physically now, uh, together with Trump's own uh, vanity claim that he solved the problem and he took Jerusalem off the table, has created a circumstance in which they will not be able to get the Palestinians and the Arabs back to the negotiating table. And in that sense, I, I fear that we'll look back on this five years, ten years from now and say that was the point at which the last nail was put into the coffin of the peace process. It was already, there were already plenty of nails in it, but this will, will be seen as the last nail. Similarly, the Saudis, whom Jared Kushner had worked very hard on to get them to, in effect, deliver the Palestinians, have now told the administration that uh, because of what they've done in Jerusalem, um, they can't help them anymore. Uh, and, and so you now have this peace plan that they have put the finishing touches to, Jared Kushner and Jason Greenblatt, uh, is now, you know, never going to be presented. It's always soon. It's coming soon. Maybe it will actually be presented eventually, but I somehow doubt it. And so um, there's a consequence to decades of American attempts to resolve this issue um, and not being able to do so. And, and I think that our credibility has been undermined over time. It didn't start with President Trump. But President Trump has taken it to the extreme. So I'm going to give you the best example of this. If he had added one sentence to his rollout statement of his decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, that one sentence would have been, I also recognize that the Palestinians aspire mm. to have their capital in East Jerusalem. That would have created a uh, situation in which I believe he would have been able to bring the Palestinians back to the table. You think just the word aspire? aspire at that point, it would have made it clear that he recognizes the Palestinians also want their capital in Jerusalem. But because there was nothing for the Palestinians in the statement, other than this was going to be negotiated in final status, and because he subsequently said it's off the table, I've, I've solved it. I've taken it off the table. He signaled to them, there's nothing for you in Jerusalem. And that, is, that, is, that, that just takes us beyond uh, the lack of credibility, takes us beyond being an honest broker uh, to, to, to being firmly on Israel's side on a final status issue. But did the unraveling begin in the spring of 1995 with the passage of this highly symbolic act, even with its escape hatches? I, you know, you could, you could say that, but I, I don't think it's actually true because the waiver was there and every president had, had waived it and it, it had become a kind of joke, but no, nobody really was pushing it. 
uh, with everything else going on, nobody really uh, expected that that Donald Trump would push it, except for those that had in 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 uh, the interim become much more important in Republican politics, and that's the evangelicals. Mm. We haven't talked about them at all, but for the evangelicals, even more in some ways than than for many Jews, uh, moving the embassy became a, a part of a fulfillment of a biblical prophecy that would produce the end of days and the coming of the Messiah. And so uh, I think that, that, yes, you could say the, the act created, delayed the predicate uh, for what happened, uh, what is going to happen now with the movement of the embassy. But uh, for many, many years, it really took, it, took the issue off the table it's because of the waiver. It only became, an, uh, I think, an issue now, partly because of Trump's dislike for waivers, Trump's desire to differentiate himself from previous uh, presidents, Trump's desire to show that he always lives up to promises he made in the campaign, no matter how much they might cause a problem for him once in office. And, and partly, I would say, actually, mostly because... He, it, it was a way of pleasing a critical part of his base, which is the evangelicals. President Clinton is famous for uh, his vociferous opinions. When this took place, when the, when the Jerusalem Embassy Act was introduced, was he apoplectic? Was there a moment in a room where he lost his temper and you know slammed his fist to the table and said, how has this come about? Well, um, I was... Uh, living in Israel at the time, and so I wasn't in the Oval Office when, when the president uh, dealt with this. I've heard that that he was uh, very frustrated by uh, by this uh, move because it put him in an, in an impossible position. He had he had um, advocated to move the embassy, uh, but now he he adopted a very different role which was very much part of his kind of life's work as president, which was to advance the peace process. And this was clearly going to complicate the peace process. And so uh, he was in a situation where uh, he, he couldn't stop it. If he vetoed it, um, it would be overridden just because it had such support because of its symbolic importance. Um, and and so, you know, he, he would have liked to stop it but didn't have the means to do so. Rabin couldn't help him. Um, because Rabin couldn't be seen to be opposing it, could never let it out that he had somehow uh, been opposed to moving uh, the embassy to Jerusalem. That's the nature of, uh, of symbolic politics in this, in, in this particular situation. Jerusalem is such a hot topic, it's so politically uh, laden um, that, that uh, you know, once, once you kind of get out there Beyond the the constraints, carefully developed constraints, <clears throat> it becomes impossible for for politicians to do the right thing. So but what he did was he sent Sandy Berger, his his he was deputy national security advisor at the time. Uh, he sent him up there and and they negotiated uh, this waiver. He sent him up and, to the hill. You yes, mean. and I think that, as I recall, I mean there was a lot of willingness to defer to the president in those days when it came to national security issues. Mm -hmm. And for Dole, 
I think it was a way to get all the Democrats on board um, so that he would become the real champion of, of what would become an overwhelming vote for the legislation. Uh, so there was, a, I think, an interest on both sides in finding a way to to uh, give the, the president the ability to waive it. And, and uh, so everybody kind of came out to live another day. Every presidential candidate on both sides of the aisle has promised to move the embassy since the Jerusalem Embassy Act. Actually, prior to the Jerusalem Embassy Act, people were promising it. And then whoever wins gets into office, sits down in the Oval, and doesn't do it. So are they knowing it won't happen when they're speaking from the podium at APAC or in front of the AJC or on the campaign trail? Or is it just that the reality doesn't hit them until they're at the White House? I, I think it's that, that when they're on the campaign trail, they'll, they'll say what they need to say to get votes. That's what politicians do in order to get elected. Um, and, and uh, you know, it would only be B a Bernie Sanders type who would stand up and say, I'm not going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, but nobody else uh, would be willing to do that, especially in, in places like New York or California uh, where uh, the Jewish vote is consequential. Um, and it's, it, as I said before, it's a cheap, it was a cheap and easy way to vet their pro-Israel credentials on an emotional issue that, that the Jewish community cared about. But, you know, I think most Jews understood that this was all a game and that they wouldn't actually move the embassy to Jerusalem. Um, that, but they wanted to hear it anyway. But it had an emotional frisson uh, from that. Ambassador Martin and Dick, it has been an honor to speak to you. Thank you for sharing all these great anecdotes. Um, and the embassy will move on May 14th, 2018. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Foreign Policies, the ER podcast. I'm Sarah Wildman, and I've been your host. The podcast is produced by Shelby Bostead. For more information about foreign policy and to subscribe to the ER, please visit foreignpolicy.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.